finished Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, and now we'll see what John the Baptist has to say as we continue through the Gospel of John on today's Bible Study Podcast. Welcome to today's Bible Study Podcast. I'm glad to have you join me as we continue our studies this Friday, as we do every Friday. My name is Justin, and I'm glad that we can share this time together. For those of you who are new, I want to welcome you to the podcast and let you know that we hope you'll join us again and we're always available for questions or comments. Of course, you can always reach me at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com. You know, feel free to drop me a line and, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Also, feel free to listen to and contact our other great host on Bible Study Podcast. You can check out Toby's work twice a week as he, uh, works on his study of Romans, and then gives an Apologetic Viewpoint podcast during the middle of the week. And you can also listen to Matt as he goes through the Johannine Epistles. Both of their emails will be posted on our website at www.biblestudypodcast.org. Under the label that says More on my podcast posting for today, you'll also be able to see our continuing outline through John chapter 3 on that section. I'd also like to ask those of you who have seen the website and have looked at the more section the past few weeks to let me know if that's been helpful for you to see the outline as we go or not. You know, if so, I'd be glad to continue to do that with the, the next chapters that follow, but I just want to kind of see if it helps or not. And uh, So please let me know what you think. Uh, again, you can reach me at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com. With that in mind, let's get started for today with the word of prayer. Our Father... We turn our hearts and our heads to you, for you are the source of life. We look to you for you are the holy God, and we ask that you would help us to be set apart for you in this world, so that we may be light that stands out among the darkness. Grant us wisdom as we read your word, and bless us with the knowledge of your Son who died for us. It's in his name that we can pray. Amen. Well, friends, as we pick up today... We'll see a scene change, and once again, we'll see her old friend John the Baptist. So let's start in John chapter 3, verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. The first thing that we see right away is that after these things, meaning after Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, he and his disciples pick up and head to the land of Judea. Now just so we can kind of get our bounds a little bit, I'll remind you that Judea is the southern part of Israel, and, and it contains many of the cities that you know are kind of popular and everyone's heard of before. Cities like Jerusalem, Bethany, Bethlehem. You know, So it's here that Jesus and his followers set out in the countryside. Well, the question now becomes, as we attempt to construct this kind of scene in our mind, what is Jesus and, and his company doing? And the answer seems to be twofold. He's said to be spending time with his disciples, first of all, and and secondly, he's said to be baptizing. Now, most scholars don't believe that this necessarily means he himself was doing the baptizing, but instead it could have meant that his disciples were baptizing people in his presence. Either way, the important part is that he is in the Judean countryside and there are people getting baptized. Now, as we'll see in verse 23 and 24, Jesus is not the only one out in the countryside. So let's read on. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and they were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. So now we see that John the Baptist is also out in the rural areas baptizing. As to the location of this place called Anon, 
We're not really sure where it is. Uh, there are a number of speculations about where it could be, where it's around, but, but the most likely site seems to be not too far from the town of Shechem, which is in Samaria, kind of the, the middle area of Israel. So Jesus and John are pretty close to each other, but they're still not right beside of each other. So wherever John is set up at, we see that he has quite a crowd that is following him and is being baptized as well. Now, verse 24 is a somewhat interesting note in terms of when the Gospel of John was written. It notes that John was baptizing before he was, had been thrown into prison. Now, while this has very little to do with the content of the passage at hand, it gives a great bit of information and kind of gives us a glimpse into the knowledge of the original audience of John. You know, it shows that the people who John w- was writing to apparently knew either from experience or from something they had heard or maybe possibly from the other Gospels, that John the Baptist had been put in prison and executed at a later point. We know that's a hallmark. So this is one of the clues that is given to support the logic that the Gospel of John was the last to be written. It kind of gives us a neat view into the minds of what the original readers knew, that it wasn't as if they were approaching the people in this story just cold turkey. They knew something about them already. They knew he was going to be in prison at some point, so... It really gives us kind of a glimpse into who John has written to. And, and again, if, if you want to review that, we kind of talked about that in our introduction. So I encourage you to go back and listen to the very first podcast, the introduction of Gospel of John. However, as, as we look back to our passage today, we see that all of this we've covered so far is just setting the stage for the event that is about to go down. Verse 25 reads, Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciple, with a Jew about purification. Apparently, a Jewish passerby had gotten into a discussion with one of John the Baptist's disciples, and it quickly turned to the question of purification. Now, how might this discussion have popped up? You know, that doesn't seem like something you just walk up to a guy and say, Hey, man, what do you think about purification? Well, let's read on in verse 26 and try to find out. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified... Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. So now we begin to get a little bit of a clearer picture of what's going on in this conversation. Apparently this certain Jewish fellow had seen Jesus and his crew baptizing, and and saw John and his crew baptizing, and kind of asked one of John's disciples about which one brought purification. It seems as though John's disciples are trying to kind of defend their teacher. You know, as the response they deliver to John is that the guy you were talking about back over the Jordan... He's baptizing, and all are coming to him. It seems kind of like a warning of sorts to me, as as this disciple is trying to get John to realize that Jesus is becoming very popular. You know, this is perhaps where the strongest part of John the Baptist's character comes out. And I want us to look carefully as we see how he responds to his disciples with comments which may have thrown them off a little bit at first. Verse 27 and verse 28 say, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now it's interesting that John first begins by correcting the underlying assumption that his disciples must have had. He starts by reminding his followers of his place in the whole scheme of things. He says, Hey, I can only get what I have been given from God. You've heard me say I'm not the Christ. I'm just the one who came before him. Now in doing so, John establishes two things. First, 
that anything that he gives people, whether it be leading them to repentance, baptizing them, purifying them, anything, it doesn't come from him. It doesn't come from John. But it comes from heaven. You know, it comes from God. God is the one who gives every good and perfect gift. And second, he reminds his disciples of his role. John was not the Christ. You know, he makes it clear, I told you this. You heard me say this. I'm not the Christ, but I'm the one who came before the Christ to prepare the way for him. What he has basically done is he first corrects his disciples so that in the next few verses he can tell what he thinks of the popularity of Jesus. So let's read verse 29 and 30. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's in this passage that we get an interesting glimpse of what John the Baptist and Jesus' relationship really is. Now John is alluding in verse 29 to a wedding scene, you know, some kind of a banquet around a wedding. And See, in that culture, the custom would be for a groom to send one of his best friends ahead of him to prepare for the wedding. You know, it's basically like his best man. You know, he was the one that was his top guy. Yet, in this situation, he has a little bit more responsibility. You see, today, in most of America, like my wedding was, for instance, the bride's family is mostly responsible for putting on the ceremony. You know, they're mostly responsible for making arrangements and decorating and setting up the ceremony afterwards and uh, the reception and all that kind of stuff. But in that day, it was the groom who was to prepare for the wedding. But you see, the groom had other things to attend to. The groom was often building a place for him and his wife to stay in. You know, he was preparing the way for his new home. So rather than having to do all of this work for the wedding himself, he would usually send one of his closest friends ahead to make the preparations for him. This is where the beauty of what John is saying really comes in, I believe. John says that Jesus is the groom. He is the one that the ceremony is about. But his friend, his best man, the one who goes before him, he rejoices at the groom's voice. In other words, John, the one who came before Christ, he has great joy when he hears that Jesus' ministry is beginning to pick up steam. After all, that's what his goal was. His whole purpose for being there was to prepare the way for the Lord. So his joy is made full. He is fulfilled in what he was sent to do. And I believe his humility is evident at this point. As we see that he notes that Christ must increase, but he must decrease. I think that John realizes at this point that his work is done. You know, he's completed what he was meant to do. Now, I'm a very sports-minded kind of guy, for those of you that don't know me. So, uh, the best example I can think of at this point is kind of to tell you about a pregame show. You know, the pregame show comes... It prepares you for the game you're about to watch. You know, it kind of piques your interest. Maybe excites you a little bit. You know, it's pretty cool. But in order for the game to start, the pregame show has to end. Now, while that's a crude analogy, in much the same way, John came before Jesus to show the people the way. He came to prepare them, to help them to look forward to the Christ. But when Jesus' ministry begins, he knows that his has come to an end. He's run his course. Now his race is complete. You know, I think this gives us a beautiful picture of the baptizer as, as John's gospel really has on the whole. We see he was sent to prepare the people's heart for the Savior of the world, who was soon coming. And when he saw that the Lord had come, 
he didn't make a scene. You know, he didn't try to grab any of the spotlight. He, he just graciously stepped out of the picture as the glorious Son of God will now take center stage. Now next week we will see what many scholars believe is John the author's, or John the evangelist as they call him, his commentary on Jesus. But for now, I think it would do well to remind myself, and hopefully it will help you as well, to remember that we need to have the same spirit as John the Baptist here. We should remember that we're not the groom. We're not the main event. God has not sent us so that we can draw others to ourselves. He doesn't care how many people listen to us. He doesn't care about how many hear our podcast or hear our Sunday school lessons or hear our messages or read our books. It's not about us. He hasn't sent us to draw others to ourselves, but He has sent us to draw others to Him, to take the captives back to the Savior, not ourselves. We must remember that it's not our goal to save anyone or to be the center of one's attention. No, it's our goal to prepare others' hearts for Jesus, to point the way to Him. We are not to be the groom. We are to be the friend whose joy may be made complete in Christ's work. With that in mind, I just want to encourage you, go out, prepare the way this week. May God bless and keep you. In this trial